Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. You know, throughout my life, I've, had, I've tried to answer some of the tough questions of life. Questions like, is there a God? Where did we come from? Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? I've tried to answer those big questions. Um, great philosophers and thinkers over the, over the years have thought about those questions. Is there a God? Where did we come from? What's, why are we here? What's the point of life? And they're really important questions to ask. And they're even more important that we actually know the answers for those important questions. Um, one man said this, I hope that life is not a joke because if it is, I just don't get it. Uh, another guy, a famous scientist, Isaac Asimov, he said this, as far as I can see, there is no purpose to life. Carl Jung, the great psychiatrist, said this, the famous psychiatrist said, I don't know the meaning of life, I don't know the purpose of life, but it looks as if something is meant by it. Today I want to look at the question, why, oh why am I here, and why, oh why are you here? Why are we here? What's the point? What's the purpose? One of the most brilliant thinkers that lived 2,000 years ago was a guy by the name of Paul. He was called Saul. He changed his name, well, God changed his name to Paul. And he was a brilliant thinker, uh, very logical, um, very passionate. And he had his world turned upside down when he encountered Jesus because Jesus actually gave him and helped him understand what the purpose of life is. And one day he met with a group of philosophers. These philosophers were from various parts of the world. They met in Athens, in Greece, and they discussed together what the purpose of life is, what the meaning of life is. And um, they answered and this verse I want to share with you, two verses, actually answers the four questions I asked at the beginning. Is there a God? Where did we come from? Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Answered in just two questions. And Paul answered in these two verses, and let's have a look at it. In Acts 17, he says this, From one man, he, that is God, made every nation of men through Adam, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this for a purpose so that men, and by the way, men there is inclusive of men and women. Men, he, he, God did this so that men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is a great couple of verses because in these two verses, Paul says that God is intimately involved in our lives, that God knows the exact times when we live, that God is the one who has determined that. And, and God also uh, has determined that people live at a place that God has determined for a purpose, and that, that purpose is that people will seek God, reach out for God, and perhaps find Him. Now, here's the thing. When you rented the apartment that you live in now, or when you bought the house that you 
live in now or when you rented the apartment or bought the apartment or rented the house or bought the house or, or, or built the unit or wherever you live right now, wherever suburb you live in or whatever place you've ever lived in, do you realise that God was intimately involved, whether you realise it or not, God was intimately involved in where you live at that point in time. We have freedom of choice. Yes, we do. But above that freedom of choice, God is sovereignly involved and he knows why you live where you live. And the reason you live where you live is so that you will know and seek and find and know God. That's why you live in the street you live in, in the unit you live in. The reason you live where you are is that you might be in relationship with God. Have you ever played that game hide and seek? I'm sure you have. Pretty much every kid has played hide-and-seek and every adult has played hide-and-seek, maybe not recently, but you've played it. Maybe you've played hide-and-seek with something else. But you've, you've, isn't it a great joy when you're the one doing the counting? One, two, three, four, up to 10 or 20. And then you go out and you go looking and you go try and find that person. And when you find that person, you're just so happy, hopefully. You found them. And, and there is a joy that we experience when we find God when we have that relationship. You know, I used to teach high school scripture and uh, one of the questions I would often, I'd ask the students a series of questions like, why do people go to school? To learn. Why do people want to learn? To get good marks. Why do people want to get good marks? So, so that they can get a good grade and get into uni. Why do people want to go to uni? Because so they can get a degree. Why do people need a degree? So that they can get a good job. Why do people need a good job? Uh, so that they can make lots of money. Why do people need lots of money? So that they can have food and a car and a house. And it's a bit harder to get a house these days. But why do people need a car and a food and a house? Because so that they can have security. Why do people need security? So that we will have enough funds to live on in retirement. Why do people need enough funds to live on in retirement? So that we can have enough to live on for before we die. So is that the purpose of life? Is the purpose of life that we go to school, work, uni, get a degree, um, be successful, earn enough money, and then just die? Or another way of looking at it is the purpose of life that we're born, what we grow, uh, we get married, we have a family, we be successful at work, we do our thing, we then become grandparents maybe, and then we retire, and then we die? Is that the point? Is, you know, that's what happens in life, isn't it, for many people? Is that what life is about? Is that the point? Is that the purpose of life? You know, Solomon was the wisest person who lived in the ancient world. And so he lived many, many years ago, and he tried to find the purpose of life in all kinds of things. He tried work. He tried wisdom. He tried knowledge. He tried um, pleasure. He tried success, popularity, fame, power, and riches. And let's have a look at what happened to him. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, we're not going to read it all today, but it's 12 ripper chapters. We're going to just have a look at the first part and a couple of little bits in it today. Ecclesiastes 1, let's have a look at this. Solomon uh, says this, Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the teacher, the son of David the king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. 
everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. And what we've got to understand in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you want to read it sometime, you've got to recognize that this word under the sun, which he often uses, it's a phrase to say this is the way of thinking on a human level. There's other ways of thinking, but at a mere human level, everything is meaningless. And what Solomon is helping us see is that life without purpose and a life without God has no meaning. When he says meaningless, meaningless, he's not writing from a perspective of God. He's writing from a human perspective that without God and without a purpose, there's nothing as meaning. He goes on, he says, the sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. So again, from a human perspective, what Solomon is saying in these few verses, I'm just going to try and summarize it. He says, a life without meaning and purpose and a life without God is tiring. A life without purpose is just wearisome. It's tiring. That's what he's saying in these verses. Then he goes on, he says, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear, it's full of hearing. Isn't that interesting that today we as a society have the potential and capacity to have our eyes more stimulated than at any other time in history? Have you thought about that? And yet, even though we, our eyes are stimulated, you know, through, through screens and what we see and what we can travel to from time to time when there's not a pandemic, our eyes, now more than any other time in history, have the potential to be stimulated more than at any other time. And our ears, likewise, because of our access to all kinds of things, to hear And yet, Solomon seems to have known this, and he says, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear, it's full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? Well, maybe there is, new technologies, new this, new that. But he says, it was here already long ago. It was there before our time. He's got a bit of an insight here into, well, God knew anyway that this stuff was going to happen. But he says, you know, what he's saying here is that a life without God and a life without purpose doesn't satisfy. And then he goes on, verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. How about that? I mean, you could be a success at what you do, do well in what you do, you could... But here's the thing. Will you be remembered? And the fact is... For many, most, we're not. So where's all this leading? Well, I want to get to why, oh, why are we here? Bertrand Russell was an atheist, uh, one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, Bertrand Russell, and he said this, unless you assume the existence of God, the question of the meaning and purpose of life is irrelevant. Do you get it? 
atheist Bertrand Russell saying, unless you assume the existence of God, there is no purpose of life. So the atheist ultimately believes that there is no purpose in life. You know, someone said this, if God is dead, it's a serious matter. But if God is alive, that also is a serious matter. And ain't that true? As Solomon wrestled with the meaning of life, we see these 12 chapters that he goes through, and he gets to the last chapter, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Solomon says this, and here's where it all lands. He says, now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That's the summary. That's where Solomon lands. And what does it mean to fear God? It means to respect, to honour, to bring glory to, to revere above all else. That's what it means. And what does it mean to obey commandments? You know, some people have this idea about obeying God, that God's this monster in the sky and that if you don't obey him, he'll club you over the head or he'll punish you. Now, that the reason we obey God is because God loves us and we're just wanting to love back the very one who loves us the most. That's what obedience is. Obedience is saying, God, you love me and what you ask me to do and what you say I need to do, I do it because you love me and I just want to love you back. So it's not... We don't obey God out of duty. We obey God from a heart of love back for God. That's what it means. You know, in Sydney in the year 2000, we had the, we had the Olympics. We also had something else. We had the fireworks on New Year's Eve. And there was a word that appeared on the Harbour Bridge. It was the word eternity. And that was an awesome thing because at that time it was celebrating uh, the words that Arthur Stace, who lived in Sydney in the 50s and 60s and written that word eternity under bridges, in stairwells, in all kinds of different places. But it, it reminded Sydney and it reminded the world that there is an eternity, that there is a forever, that there is more to come. And Solomon actually said in chapter 3, he said that God has placed eternity into the hearts of people. So I want us to look at what life is about. Before I give you, uh, you know, what the purpose of life is, which I meant to tell you, our purpose, here's the, here's the purpose of life. Our purpose is to be in a right relationship with God now and forever. That's my purpose and that's your purpose. The purpose of life is to be in a right relationship with God now and forever. That's what life is about. And life is also preparation for eternity. You see, our, our heart goes on forever. You know, this week some kids have started school. Some have started kindy. Bailey over here started kindy. Uh, and he's done well. He survived kindy. And each of us, you know, kindy is just really preparation for the big school. But each of us, our 70 years on, on earth, our 70 or 80 or 90 years, guess what that is? It's kindy. We're in kindy right now. Big school is yet to come, and I'm not saying heaven is like school, I'm just saying that the best is yet to come. The, the reality is yet to be. 
this life that we live in right now, it's just preparation for eternity. And the choices that we make in this life right now prepare us for eternity. And so what I want us to do, I just want to share with you personally and from from the Bible four ways that I seek to be in a right relationship with God now and forever. And I'd just love to share them with you and I pray that this would speak into your heart and your life. And the first one is this, how do I, how do I be in a right relationship with God for now and forever? The first one is this, trust in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. You see, God made me so that I would belong to his family. And God loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to live to teach me how to live, to die on a cross for my junk, my sin, and to rise from the dead so that I can have eternal life. And so one day at the age of 13 years old, I put my trust in Jesus. I did that by making a commitment to Jesus, a personal commitment where I said, Jesus, I trust you to rescue me. I trust you to save me. I trust you to be my Lord, my number one, my God, my boss, my CEO, my, you're you're it God, You're, you're my God. And I made a personal commitment and I put my trust in Jesus. And the Bible encourages people to put their trust in Jesus because part of God's plan for every person and his desire for every person is to be in a relationship with God. And that happens through trust in Jesus. You know, here I have some keys, and there, there's a bunch of keys here, and this key is the key that opens the church. I can try all kinds of other keys to try and open the church front door, but none of them will work. This key will work. This key will open the door to the church. Um, you know what f- faith is? Faith is the key that opens the door to a relationship with God. Faith is the key that opens the door to us having forgiveness of sin, eternal life, the joy of knowing Jesus, purpose. Faith is the key. And so trusting in Jesus is why we're here. Why we're here? Why are you here? You are here to have a relationship with God and that comes firstly by putting your trust in Jesus. I want to ask you today, You're here in church today, that's great. But I want to ask, have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you trust Jesus not just for eternal life, but trust him also for life now, in all that's going on in your world, in your life right now? Can you trust in Jesus? Because he can be trusted. Second second part of this for me, how do I live in a right relationship with God, is taking time to be both with Jesus and for Jesus. You know, time is a precious resource. Each of us has the same amount of time per week, 168 hours. We all have that time. And time is something that once, once, it, once it happens, you can't get it back. You can't, you can't extend time, save time. Um, you, we just can't borrow time. We can't even make time when you think about it. We, 
We, we say those words, make t- I'm going to make time. But we can't. We can't make time. And the Bible says, be wise in the way you act. Make the most of every opportunity. What do I mean by being with? There were two ladies, sisters, Martha and Mary. They had Jesus over for lunch one day. Jesus came to their house. Martha was in the kitchen, working, working, working. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. A meal needed to be prepared. Martha is working her guts out in the kitchen and not very happy that her sister is just sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus says to her Martha 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 you are worried and upset about many things I wonder if Jesus would say that to you today maybe not call you Martha but he might say hey you're worried and upset about many things what Mary has chosen is best what you've chosen Martha, it's good, but it's not the best. And what Jesus is teaching these two sisters in their house, he's saying to them, the most important thing is that you be with me. And Jesus is saying to each of us today, we need to take time to be at the feet of Jesus. One of the ways that people in our church do this, on a WhatsApp group this week, a few people were saying in the worship team, here's how I be with Jesus. I listen to worship music. Others of you, your way of being with Jesus is you get some time each day in the morning where you open your Bible and you read it and you listen to what Jesus is saying. And I want to encourage you to do that. If that's not a a daily or a regular practice for you, take time to listen to Jesus, to strengthen your relationship with God now and forever. And the other one is to be for Jesus. You know, Jesus has got stuff that he wants you to do. Um, there's plenty to be done. And Jesus has got specific tasks and assignments and work that he wants you to do. Don't ever, un- don't ever think that there's nothing that Jesus has for you to do. He's got plenty for you to do. And one of the ways for me that I do this, one of the ways I put this principle into practice is when, you know, you'd say, well, this is easy for me now because I work for the church. But I do my work, I do it as for God, not for me, not for others. That's the first thing. And the, the other way I do this in, in my life is this, is to spend that time with Jesus. So be with Jesus, spend that time regularly, listening, praying, talking to him, hearing what he's got to say, and being for him, working for him. One of the ways I do it, even as a pastor, is I, you know, how could I as a pastor... Um, and how could we have so many volunteers who work full-time, some of them have a business full-time, they've got their own family, and then I've got the gall to ask them, could you please help do some volunteering work for church? I wouldn't do that if I wasn't doing that extra myself, over and above what God, you know, what, you know so in, in, in many of you do this, you, you, you have your full-time, whatever it is that you do, and you give over and above in serving and helping be for Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said, I consider my life worth nothing if only I finish the race and I complete the task that Jesus gave me. And that's how we are to live. Here's the third one. Use your talents faithfully, being ready to meet Jesus. You know, some people think that the secret of life, um, the secret to a good life or a great life is to survive. And that's one level. Some people think that the secret to life is success. No, it isn't. 
Some people think that the secret to a great life is significance. No, that's not even it. Jesus said that the secret to a great life is service. That's what Jesus said. The secret to a great life is service. Jesus himself said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, and if you want to be great, Jesus said, guess how you want to be? You want to be great? You serve. You want to have a great life? Serve. That's what Jesus said. And so there are things that, you, that, that God has given you the ability to do, and he trusts you with them. And so... Um, you've got talents and gifts. Each one of us has got talents and abilities and gifts and God entrusts those to you so that you will use them for him. Did you know that you are created to serve? You are gifted to serve. You are called to serve. You are, uh, the, the church needs you. The church is described as a body made up of many parts and each person is needed in it. The church needs you. The church needs your service. You've got stuff that there's stuff that you can do that no one else in this room can do and God is wanting you to do the thing that no one else in this room can do. God wants you involved in his church. You are a part of it. You belong to it. So Jesus told this story one day and he said there was this guy and he was, he was going on a trip and not one of those trips but he was going on a journey and he went on a trip and, and so this guy had some money. He had $80,000. And he didn't need his $80,000 for the trip, so he entrusted his $80,000 to three guys. To one guy, he gave 50 grand. To another guy, he gave 20 grand. To another guy, he gave 10,000. Grand is 1,000 or K, whatever you want to call it. So he gave this one guy $50,000. And the guy with the $50,000, when the, when the master said, look, I'm going on a trip, I'll come back sometime. So the guy with the $50,000 went and he put his 50 grand to work. And with that 50 grand, he made more money and so... He ended up getting to be a hundred grand, and uh, this was in the time I don't know if, what interest rates were at the time, but he did okay. And then there was a time the guy with the twenty grand he made another twenty grand, and the guy with the ten thousand well he went and buried his ten thousand dollars in the ground. Well, meanwhile the master came back, and the master came back, and the master called them to account, and the guy with the fifty grand said, "Look, master, I've made fifty grand more." The guy with the 20 grand came and said, look, I've made 20 grand more. And here's what the master says to the servants. He says this, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful and trustworthy in this, I am going to give you more responsibility. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But what about the guy with the 10K, the 10 grand, the $10,000? What happened to him? Well, he had to also give an account to the master, and he said to the master, Master, you gave me $10,000, but I was afraid, so I went and hid it in the ground. And this, the master says this to him, You wicked, lazy servant. I gave you that 10 grand so you would use it. You could have at least put it in the bank and earned 0.01% interest in 2022. You could have done something with it. But he didn't. You see, friends, God has given me talents and abilities and gifts, and God has given you talents and abilities and gifts. And here's the way I live my life. I want to one day meet Jesus, and I want to hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in the few things that I've given you, 
you're going to now be entrusted with more. And so I want to encourage and call each and every one of you here today. You are here not because you chose to be here. That's part of the reason you're here today. You're here today to hear a message about why you're here. You are here one day, each and every one of us is going to give an answer to Jesus. We're going to give an answer to Jesus of what we've done with him. We're going to give an answer to Jesus with what we've done with our time. And we're going to give an answer to Jesus with what we've done with the talents and abilities he's given us. And it's not something to be feared. It's something to be respected. But it's something to be out of love for Jesus. We trust him. We give our time to him. And we use our talents because we love him and we want to honor him. And we want to hear him one day reward us by him saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant, not wicked wicked and lazy servant. We don't want to hear that, do we? None of us in this room want to hear Jesus say to us one day when we meet him face to face. None of us want to hear Jesus say, you wicked, slothful servant. None of us want to hear that. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Fourth one I want to share with you, this is how I practice this way, just to wrap this up. Generously sow your treasure your assets and your income into heaven. You know, one of the greatest tragedies I see in our world today is that too many people are living for the here and now. Too many people are just living for stuff, for the here and now, and not for Jesus and eternity. People live for things that they can't take into heaven. You know, I've got some stuff in my house that I can't take to heaven. And you've got some stuff that you can't take to heaven. And let me give you a list of all the things you can't take to heaven. You ready for it? So I hope it doesn't depress you, but this is reality check. Here's what you can't take to heaven. My bike I got for Christmas. I can't take it to heaven. You can't take and I can't take to heaven businesses, clothes, cars, computers, crypto, farms, fields, homes, houses, plants, pools, possessions, property, even your pension. You can't take to heaven real estate, retirement funds, superannuation funds, stocks, shares, or even your sports trophies that I won when I was a boy. I can't take them to heaven. They're not going to get there. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. Nothing at all wrong with them. But when it does become wrong is when we in our lives put that thing above God. And when that thing is above God, guess what that thing becomes? An idol. An idol. An idol is not just some little thing that you can buy at a shop in Thailand or wherever you go. An idol is anything that is in our heart of more value to us than God. That's what an idol is. And God encourages us throughout Scripture, and you see it, to dethrone the idol. And so in my life, guess what? I wanted to be a wealthy dairy farmer. My idol was to be a wealthy dairy farmer who milks cows seven days a week. How crazy is that? And God had other ideas, but I have to dethrone that idol of materialism that could be my God and the dairy farmers, and I love beautiful country and scenery and all that, but that was my idol. And here's how Wendy and I dethrone that idol. Every fortnight when we get paid... We give God a tenth of everything we own. We've been doing this for 22 years and individually before we got married for many years prior. You give God, and many of you are doing this. 
You're giving God a tenth of all you earn, and you go, some of you are working out, hang on, I earn this much. If I give God a tenth, that's this much. Whoa, can I survive? You can. You can. You can survive, and you will. You see, what Wendy and I do, and what many of you do, and I, I just want to applaud you, encourage you with this, here's what you do. You get the Earth's currency when you get paid. You take Earth's currency and you put it into the currency of heaven. You take the money that's in this life and you put it in heaven. You send it on ahead. Every time you give to God generously, give your tithe, giving above your tithe, whatever. Every time you give generously to Jesus, you are putting that money, not in this world, into the next. You actually are doing that. And guess what? When you die and you go to heaven and you meet Jesus, and if you have an eternal security in heaven and you meet Jesus, guess what's going to happen? You are going to see what you've invested in heaven. You are. And here's how I know this, because lots of Bible verses tell you, but let's look at what Paul said to Timothy, this young pastor who was pastoring a church in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a wealthy city, had a lot going for it. And we're in Sydney, we're in the North Shore, we're in the best part of Sydney, aren't we? I mean, sorry if you're from any other area, but hey, Zoe, it's all good. Westies are good too. Um, but, but we're in a pretty wealthy area, affluent area. Let's look at what he said. Paul says to Timothy, here's what you've got to do. Command those who are rich in this present world. Guess who's rich in this present world? Even the Westies in Sydney. We're all rich. We are rich in this present world. Every single one of us in this room are rich in this present world. That's the facts. And then he says this, command them not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. He, what you have now, God's provided it for you, for your enjoyment. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way. Here it is. Here's the kicker. Here's the reason why we give sacrificially and why you give sacrificially. Here's the reason why we are laying up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, the age to come, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, you see, one of the sad realities is so many people are living for the here and now, and I want to encourage each and every one of us, let's live for eternity. Let's live for what's to come. Let's invest in heaven, because it's the best way to live. Why are you here? Why am I here? Trust in Jesus, time with Jesus, talents for Jesus, treasure for Jesus. That's why we're here. A relationship with God now and forever. Will you pray with me? as we prepare to reflect on communion and we remember Jesus who trusted in God, gave his time, spent time with God, used his gifts and abilities and ultimately he gave himself to secure you for heaven. Let's pray and prepare. Our back. 
Are you part of the family and had it on your heart to get more involved at Northside, but you're not sure where to start? Well, we'd love to help. Send us an email at iwanttoserve at northsidechurch.org.au today.